All right. See? This is, the, this is why. Right here. All right. If you guys could find your way back to your seats. Remember, nobody sits alone. Mike Johnson. All right. Here we go. All right. Okay. There we go. That's better. All right. Hey, um, I want to show you one of my favorite commercials that's playing right now, and it just sets up what I believe is a great uh, just uh, insight on some things that we normally don't concentrate on. But before I do that, uh, if you need a Bible, I'm not going to put the main verses on, uh, but if you guys need a Bible, raise your hand and Andrew will bring one to you, or you can break out your phone and go to version. Bible Gateway, whatever you choose. And if you have one of these Bibles, we're going to be at page 600. See how easy that is? Page 600. So we want you to be able to navigate your Bible a little bit. Uh, back in, I think it was 1992 or so, early 90s, my, my two best friends and I decided, because we, none of us had girlfriends, that we would occupy our summer on Friday nights by watching Friday the 13th, and we started with the very first one. Every single Friday, we were going to watch Friday the 13th, and we got to like the fifth, sixth, or seventh one, and we're like, man, this is just redundant. This is like the same thing happens, and we came up with the list way before it was a big deal in the movie Scream, but we came up with the list of something that is guaranteed at least in Friday the 13th, and it may be most horror flicks, and I thought I would share with you the ones that, I, that we came up with things that are sure to get you killed in a horror movie. First of all, if you're a man, you're just host. You are. Sorry, dudes. I mean, it's just the way it is. If you're a police officer or a detective going to check things out alone, (laughs) um, if you decide to get naked, if you decide to have sex, if you get drunk or do drugs, you are dead. If you are the last person to live through the previous movie, You'll be the first one out in the next one. And uh, if your name is not at the top of the list in the credits, you're, you're pretty much done. I remember when I was really little, too little to have watched this, but I, the first horror movie that I watched was Halloween um, with Jamie Lee Curtis, late 70s, and uh, my babysitter thought it'd be a good idea um, for us to watch this movie. And it actually didn't really bother me. It's still one of my favorite movies, although um, a lot have been made since then. But around that same time, I had a sleepover with a buddy of mine. His name was Philip, and our families were really close, and so we became really good friends. And one night, we decided it was a Friday night, and his parents had fallen asleep, and his sister had had a sleepover somewhere else. Uh, but we decided in the basement, him and I were going to watch... Uh, Fright Friday Night, or Friday Fright Night. And I don't know if you remember this, but it was just, I mean, for a little kid, uh, this was pretty spooky stuff. We turned out all the lights, and uh, we started watching, and I don't remember anything about the episode, but I do remember it getting pretty intense, and getting really suspenseful, and getting really creepy, and there's a moment where the sound, it gets lower and lower and lower, and it's building, and you know something is going to happen, and it's going to scare the bejeebies out of everybody in the room. But I was so glad Philip was next to me, because on the inside, I was shaking and trembling. And as it was building, and then all of a sudden, bam, the door behind us slammed shut. 
And I kid you not, if you've ever had one of those, I just poop my pants moments in your life, that was mine. You've never seen two pre-adolescent boys move so fast in your life. We flew up the stairs, went into his bedroom, turned on the lights as bright as it would go. And it took a while for our hearts to kind of come back down to a place of normacy. And then uh, I'm not sure which one of well, we've we, we got to go back downstairs and we're going to figure out what's going on. So we kind of crawled out of his room and went down the stairs and we turned on the lights downstairs. And, and because I was older, I decided I'm going to step up and I'm going to see what's on the other side of the door. And so the whole goal was to open the door and flip on the light before the monster or the person on the other side of the door could cut off my hand. And so I remember, I remember just us kind of walking up to it and feeling the doorknob and kind of doing this, and somebody was on the other side because it would not open. There was resistance. And so scared us to death, and then we did what little boys should do. We went and woke up his father, Tony. <laughs> hey, Tony, uh, there's a Fright Night monster downstairs, and he's going to kill us. We just thought you should know. <laughs> and so Tony kind of makes his way down with us. We turn on more lights, and his dad goes up, and with a little bit more force, he opens the door. And what had happened was one of those tunnels that unfolded, I got a picture right here, was folded up and it was behind the door and it fell, slammed the door shut, and it stayed behind the door. And so when I tried to open it, that's what it was hitting. Sure. I mean, of course that's what happens. I, I, but I knew there was a demon back there. I mean, that's what I had in my heart. Why? Because I was watching Friday Fright Night, and it put these thoughts in my head. And then, of course, we move into an idea or this place where we go through a, a pre-go-to-bed checklist, that checklist where you check under the bed, you open the closet doors and make sure that nothing's in your closet, you check the windows, make sure the windows are good and locked, and then the last but not least, the thing that you do is you flip on your nightlight. And then obviously, if things get bad, you can always go and get dad, right? Because dad keeps us safe from the demons. But as we get older and we learn that monsters aren't real and that the movies are fiction played by actors, but we still have to, we still have to you know, recognize that we're dealing with some demons. You know? We have taxes and mortgages and diapers. But for some reason... Darkness tries really hard to penetrate the walls that we have built up. And the demons become a little bit more real. And not in every situation, but in a lot of situations, you're like, they, they seem to get the best of people, the darkness that we deal with. And right now, we have more stuff and more money in the history of the world, and yet suicide rate is at the highest it's ever been. Something is wrong. So what do we do with that? And I think we need to do what Philip and I did. We 
need to turn on the lights. We need to flip the switch. We need to go get dad. Today we're going to be in Luke chapter 4, but we're mainly going to be in Mark chapter 1. This is both areas are where we find our story. Mark chapter 1, which is page 600 in your Revived Bibles. Before we dig into that main text, I want to share with you something out of 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. It says, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Pretty strong, intense language that's used to describe Satan, that he's out there prowling around. If you want to know what the enemy is, it's pretty clear according to Scripture that it's the devil. And we, most of the time, we walk around not really, this is how I feel, I feel a lot of times we walk around, we go through life, we don't really recognize that there's an enemy out there, that we do not kind of think of spiritual warfare. We don't pray this into our, into our days. And so this idea for me, you know, if, if I was a kid and I saw that it was an analogy of a lion, I figured, well, lions, they make a lot of noise and you see them running from a long way away. But as you get older and you study lions and tigers, you realize that when they're on the prowl, they are very quiet. <laughs> they try to be very sneaky They don't want anybody to know that they're there until they are right there, ready to devour. For the most part, unless you're incredibly different from me, I don't think we think about Satan that way in our day. We don't spend a lot of time praying against him and the evil that he brings. And we don't go about our day recognizing that he is out there with a real attempt to destroy you and to destroy me and to destroy relationships and friendships and marriage and most of all, to destroy your trust, your hope and your faith in Jesus Christ. That's what he wants to do. And he doesn't want you to see it coming. So, From the very beginning of time, Satan has been doing this. And understand this, Satan is only getting a certain amount of space at a certain amount of time. So your eternal time with God will not include him. But for our time on earth, we have to think of the spiritual warfare we have against him. In Genesis chapter 3, in the garden, Satan slithered his way, so obviously he's a shapeshifter, Because in 1 Peter, it's described as a lion. Genesis 3 is a snake. And he slithers in in Genesis chapter 3. Now, when we start talking, and obviously this is kind of a darker topic, but there's usually two kinds of people. The first kind of people are people who basically don't recognize or don't acknowledge. They don't give any attention to the idea that there's evil out there. <clears throat> they pretend that there's no enemy. Then there's those on the opposite end of the spectrum where they're obsessed with darkness. They're ex- obsessed with demons and satanic stuff. And I would say both are very unhealthy and things that we should not uh, do. 
But the goal today isn't to scare you guys, but it's to bring awareness and actually build your confidence because we have an amazing advantage. We do. We have an amazing advantage. And we're going to find that in Mark chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles open, we're going to start in verse 21. It says, they, made, um, they went to Capernaum, this is Jesus and his disciples, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue. Now, the synagogue, the Greek word means to gather together. So since the destruction of the temple that Nebuchadnezzar did, they established these synagogues, and they were places of worship where people would come. And so Jesus is teaching in the synagogue. They would worship there, and they would learn there. And continues says, and was he was teaching, and they were astonished at this at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, and not as the scribes. And immediately, there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out. And I wish I could do this in a demonic way, but I can't. But they basically say. What, do, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Wow. Do you, do you catch this? They know who he is. And they declare it. We know who you are. You are Jesus of Nazareth. You are the Holy One of God. They are more aware of the identity of Jesus than everybody else in the room, including the disciples. They understand Christology. And they basically declare Jesus of who he really is. They know he's the son of God. They also recognize that Jesus has the power to destroy them. James chapter 2, verse 19 says, You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this. And they tremble in terror. The demons believe. They believe in Jesus. But Jesus doesn't want their testimony. And he doesn't want anything uh, that they have to say to proclaim him being who he is. And so he basically shuts their mouths. In verse 25, he says... But Jesus rebukes him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed. And so they, that they questioned among themselves, saying this, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. What? Really? Man, what is this? That's my, I think that's great. What is this? That is a crazy day at church. Could you imagine going to church on that day? That's the day where you could go to church and you could basically say, what the hell, and you would be accurate. Because that's exactly what it was. That was a nutty day at church. Guys preaching, and then someone came in and went crazy. We already knew he was crazy because he's possessed by demons. 
Have you ever had a weird day at church? I think the longer you spend time in church and the more and more people that come to church, the more crazy days you'll have at church. And I've seen some absolutely crazy things in my time in churches. Um, I've seen fights break out. I've seen people argue over the dumbest things. I've heard people accidentally cuss doing communion meditation. <laughs> people have tried to disrupt service. I remember Vince Anaducci, who's a pastor out in Las Vegas, telling me about a guy that he had led to Christ that his whole goal when he first came to their church was to stand up in the middle of the service and disrupt it. That was his whole goal. So he sat right in the middle of the, of the auditorium and he had this moment. It was like 15 minutes in and he was going to stand up and he says the guy was paralyzed. He couldn't get up. And he just sat there and listened. And so he came back the next week to try it again and it didn't work again. And finally, the Holy Spirit spoke to him and he gave his life to Christ. I was a part of a, a church out in California and we had... We, we were doing a Narnia series, and so we brought a lion into our church because we did crazy things like that. And we had the lion for Saturday night and Sunday morning services, uh, but we, you know, didn't have it for the Sunday night service. The Sunday night folks got all upset because you had the lion for all the rest of the services, not ours. So we brought the tiger from Gladiator in, the movie Gladiator in, and we had the tiger on stage a couple weeks later uh, for the Sunday night service. Except on Sunday night, we had communion stations, kind of like what we have, and except they were a little closer to the stage and then around the room. And I kid you not, during communion meditation that morning, as people were, or that evening, as people came up, the tiger at that moment decided to declare his territory and peed all over the area. And I kid you not, if I wasn't there, I wouldn't have believed it. I was mortified. I was like, Oh, what do you do there? What do you do with that? Just, there's communion over here. <laughs> but if you had gone to the synagogue on this day, that would have been a weird day, a day that you would have not forgotten. That happened. In verse 22, it says that they were astonished by Jesus' teaching because he taught with such authority, and his teaching was different than what they were used to from the scribes. Here's the deal. Jesus is a Jewish rabbi, and unlike the scribes, he is not boring, and he basically speaks with power and authority. The way the scribes, and here's how it was different, the scribes would teach based on what they had been told by other religious leaders, other scribes, other Pharisees. And when the Pharisee group, basically the religious leaders, when they first started, they were actually pretty good. They had good intentions in mind. They were all about the law in the Old Testament and observing it and making sure that we honored it. But over the generations, the Pharisees basically started making up their own rules. They got a little self-absorbed. And they also understood they could make a profit off of this. And so over time, the Pharisees got corrupt. And they started adding their own laws, and they started adding little contingency things. And they started teaching things that were not a part of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And so the scribes keep 
teaching on the footnotes of the footnotes of what they had been taught. What Jesus does is he speaks of authority from his Father. I'm going to speak for God. This is a message from God the Father. And it was strong. It was obviously different than what they were used to, and they're amazed by it. And the authority that Jesus spoke from is going to be tested because in verse 23, when this demon-possessed man walks in, Jesus deals with it. Now, I don't know. I think for a lot of people, this isn't something that we normally think about today. Uh, I don't know if you've ever witnessed this or seen it happen, but I want you to know it does happen. Um, mostly in California, because all the examples that I know of are from pastor friends in California that deal, deal with demon possession. Uh, one was a person uh, from church uh, who had a friend that was not a believer, but was acting incredibly possessed. And so they called some of the church leaders over. They came over and they were real specific in their prayer. We pray a wall of protection on this side and this side and this side. And they continued to pray. And then the demons spoke out and said, you forgot one side. And they all freaked out. Uh, there was another time, and obviously I wasn't there, but uh, another time was uh, they remember vividly there was a few of the college ministry leaders were called over to a man's house. And when they got there, they started to approach the person. And the demonic presence in this person started basically declaring or calling out specific sins of the people walking towards him. Think that would get your attention? These things do happen. And maybe you're thinking where you're at. Could that happen to me? I mean, could I be possessed by demons? And in all my years of student ministry, I had to ask myself the same thing about some of our teenagers. Are you possessed by demons? I think so, maybe. But here's what I want you to know. If you're a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ and you've accepted him into your life, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit will now hold you you're possessed by the Holy Spirit, which makes it impossible for you to be possessed by a demon. John chapter 10, verse 27 says, My sheep listen to my voice. They follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me. Do you catch that? No one will snatch them away from me, for my Father has given them to me, and He is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. I want you to know, if you are in Christ, Satan has no power over you. If you are in Christ, Satan has no control over you. Satan can't make you do anything that you don't want to do. And you can say he did, but you would be wrong. If you go back to Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve eat of the forbidden fruit and God confronts them, and Adam quickly does what every man does, he blames the woman. He says, she gave me the fruit. But notice what Eve says, because she is incredibly accurate in her statement. She said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. That's what Satan does. He deceives. 
people. This is why one of the titles the Bible gives to Satan is the father of lies. The other day, Sarah and I had a heart-to-heart conversation. I'm going to be a little vulnerable here. But one of the comments that Sarah made, and as she said it, I thought to myself, where is that coming from? Where's that statement coming from? And to be honest, it's, it's coming from the devil. God was not in that statement. The lies and the deception and the doubt and the worry are things that he wants to put in front of you. And then I made a statement later on in the week that was far from the truth and far from how God created me. And Sarah reminded me, where did you think that statement came from? Because it sure wasn't God. This is how Satan works. He lurks, he deceives, he will tempt. He wants you to believe things that are close to the truth, but then that are not the truth. So I think we need to be careful. And we also need to be careful who we listen to and always compare it with scriptures. And this is so important. When you hear a pastor or a teacher or a leader, somebody say something that seems a little off from how you know the Word of God, which is important, it's why we encourage you, know the Word of God, be digging into your Bible, so that you can know a lie when you hear it. But when you hear something that just doesn't line up, and there's something in your spirit that just doesn't feel right, it is perfectly okay and encouraged for you to look it up, compare it, study it, pray about it, and confront it. The Apostle Paul speaks of this and recognizes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 13. He says, These people are false apostles. They are deceitful workers who disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. But I am not surprised. Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no wonder that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. In the end, they will get the punishment their wicked deeds deserve. Do you guys catch that? They disguise themselves. They put on a mask that looks real and that looks good and appealing. He wants to appear to be good. And so if Satan's goal is to take the truth and eventually distort it, doesn't it make sense of why Jesus would shut this down when he did? Because what they say at the beginning, you truly are the one from Nazareth, the Holy One of God. Eventually, if he lets them keep talking, they will start to distort the truth. So Jesus shuts it down, rebukes them. And he does not give them an audience. And I would say to everybody here, do not give Satan an audience in your life. Don't allow him to slither into your life. Make sure that you allow the Holy Spirit in. Let that be your gauge. And so we're in a spiritual warfare. We are, absolutely. Uh, 
But I would say be careful not to give Satan more power than he deserves. And be careful not to underestimate the powers of God. I love what Mark Moore uh, said in his book. One of the books I'm using going through this is called The Chronological Life of Christ, written by Mark Moore, who was a professor at Ozark for many years and is now a teaching pastor down in Arizona. But this is what he says. He says that we are in spiritual warfare is undeniable. However, it is false and faithless to view this battle as dualistic, fairly equivalent powers of darkness and light, and one will barely win over the other. The Holy Spirit is infinitely more powerful than the created, fallen, evil spirits. There is simply no contest. There's no contest. Jesus wins. And Jesus rebukes. And right after Jesus casts out the demons, he actually continues to preach and teach. And then he goes to Simon Peter's house and he heals his mother-in-law of a high fever. And I think a lot of people who have been in the Bible, and especially if you're raised Catholic with St. Peter, didn't recognize or realize that Peter had a wife. But he did. And he had a mother-in-law. And Jesus heals her. I always thought, man, how interesting that would have been for Simon Peter. (laughs) Jesus, here's my mother-in-law. You can heal her if you want, whatever you decide. I'll leave it up to you, all of us with mother-in-laws, maybe different degrees here and there. (laughs) But catch this. Right after this happens, it says in Luke chapter 4, verse 40 and 41, as the sun went down that evening... People throughout the village, and I had to wait for the sun to go down because it was the Sabbath. So as soon as the Sabbath is over, the sun goes down, then people start flocking to Jesus with people that need him. And it says that they, they brought sick family members to Jesus. No matter what their diseases were, and this is huge, no matter what the diseases were, the touch of his hand healed every one. Many were possessed by demons, and the demons came out at his very command, shouting, and this is what they're saying, you are the son of God, but because they knew that he was the Messiah, he rebuked them and refused to let them speak. He has the authority over any disease, any demon, any situation, and we need to recognize that, that Jesus, because of association with the Father, because they are one, has power over all. And so if Satan has no power over God, how can he get to you? And I would say, you have to let him in. You have to invite Satan into your life. And I think a lot of times it's, it's gradual, People don't usually come out and say, you know, today I want to be possessed by Satan. They don't. But when people, um, when they do things and when they entertain the spiritual of the, of the darkness, it's slowly inviting things like Ouija boards and palm readings and dealing with spiritual world that is not God through witchcraft. 
entertaining or seeking after the dead. We simply give darkness a small invitation and it can gradually grow from there. And it happens also by removing Jesus from your life. The more you remove Jesus, the more you invite the darkness in, the more evil and the sin that you accept and embrace, the less you are living by the Spirit of God. And when you do this, the more the lies will then seem like the truth. And the more you will believe things that are contrary to the Bible, it's going to seem real and true, but it's not. It's interesting that when this happens, a lot of people, they'll, grow, uh, they'll go through incredible difficult times in their life and they often will start listening to the voices that are not God. And I don't know if any of these will resonate with you, but they do for me. The voices that say you're not good enough, that you're not smart enough, and that was actually the one that was mine this past week. That you're not pretty enough, that you're not thin enough, that you don't have what it takes. You can't do this. You don't measure up. You will never be good enough or have what it takes. You might as well give up. You should quit. It just starts slowly. Starts with the ones that you already believe and small things then creep in between your ears and gradually over time they take root. And Remember, he prowls around. So what do we do with all that as we move forward? And I'm going to blast through this as quick as I can. Remember where we started in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 and 9. says, stay alert, watch out for the great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Stay alert, watch out, stand firm, be strong in your faith. I would say be aware and I would say be prepared. Be aware and be prepared. Be on the lookout. Be alert, standing strong in your faith. I love Capture the Flag. In all my years of student ministry, it was one of my favorite games. Capture the Flag. We're going to go get their flag and we're going to bring it to our safe zone. I don't know if you guys have played this game. But could you imagine playing Capture the Flag and they told you, hey, on the course today, on the playing field, we've released six hungry lions. So have fun with that. Do you think you would play the game a little different? I would. I would be like, Tommy, go get the flag. But we would play it different. Our awareness would be higher. You'd probably play the game in such a way that you're like, okay, we're going to be as careful as we can, but we're going to do the game. We're going to play it out. And guys, life is not a game, but you are on the menu. And Satan would love nothing more than to make his way into your life. And so we need to be on the alert and be on the lookout and pay attention to where we are in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul recognizes this in Ephesians chapter 6. He writes a whole section on being prepared and he talks about the armor of God, but he says, a final word, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. 
Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. And then Paul, he basically goes off and he he lists out all the parts of the armor of God. Here's what you need because here's how Satan's going to attack you. Here's the defensive weapons you have and here's the main offensive weapon that you have. So understand who the enemy is because a lot of times we think the enemy is people. The enemy is not people except Tom Brady. He's the only one. Other than him, it's not people, folks. God says love people. The enemy is against the unseen world, against the powers of darkness and evil spirits. These people right here, this is not the enemy. This is. That's the enemy. These people here, they are not the enemy. Satan is. These folks right here, this is not the enemy. Satan is. This person here, he was a military enemy, but he's not the enemy of spirituality. This is. Every single one, this is not the enemy. This is. These people here, not the enemy. This is. This is not the enemy. This is. Satan is the enemy. And 1 John 5 tells us the world belongs to the devil. And this frightens me a little bit because we live in the world. But then I flip a few pages back and I land in 1 John chapter 4. And here's where it says, But you belong to God, dear children. You have already won a victory over those people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. You have victory over darkness because of Jesus Christ in you. And so I would say fix your thoughts and focus on things of God. Colossians 3 tells us to set our sights on the realities of heaven. James 4, 7 and 8 says, So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and he will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. For your loyalty is divided between God and the world. I love this promise of God. Lean into God. Draw near to him and he will draw near to you. If the lies are speaking loudly in your life, draw near to him. Lean into him. Allow him to be the desire of your life. Dig into his word. Be encouraged by others. One of my favorite hymns, I think, says it best. And I would say, allow these words to be implanted into your life. But it's this. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. 
And so my theological lesson at like age eight or nine is the best lesson that we could know and live by and it's very simple. Turn on the light. Flip the switch. Because where there is light, there is no darkness. You can't dark out light, but you can sure light up the dark. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your words, your promises, for knowing that sin and evil and Satan, the demons, they have no victory over you. That you have crushed it. And so I pray that we will come together, that we will be the church together, that we will not give the enemy a small foothold in our lives, that we will not give him an audience. So help us to be strong in you, to resist him. And this we ask in your amazing name. Amen.